Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. As expected, the president's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, has been indicted. The first indictment in special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. But another surprise indictment may tell a more meaningful story about what the Trump campaign knew about Russian interference in the election and when it knew it. It's Tuesday, October 31st. Matapuzo, tell me about George Papadopoulos. Who is this guy before he comes into contact with the Trump team? Uh, he was a research fellow at the Hudson Institute, which is a conservative think tank mm-hmm. in town. He was not a well-established foreign policy expert in Washington by any stretch. I mean, he was 30 years old when he joined the campaign. And, um, you know, in a city where you have a ton of think tanks and a, a ton of experts, he wasn't somebody who stood out. And what does Papadopoulos understand to be his role and mission on the Trump team when he comes on board as a foreign policy advisor in early 2016? Well, we now know that he was told one of the key foreign policy areas of the Trump campaign was going to be an improved relationship with Russia. If we can get along with Russia, that's very good. If Russia wants to spend millions of dollars a day dropping bombs on ISIS, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with that. Some people and so that is something that I think he then set out to try to focus on, make himself a little more valuable to the campaign by focusing on Russia. Okay, so with that in mind, what happens? We know he went to Italy and he meets this professor who is a professor of diplomacy And when he tells him, oh, I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to be named a foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump, this professor takes real interest in him. And the professor says, well, he has really close ties with the Russian government. And Papadopoulos says, well, that's good for me because if Russia is going to be a focus of the campaign, then Mm -hmm. having that relationship can only be helpful. So they sort of strike up a conversation. They meet in London And it's at that meeting where the professor says, you know, the Russians have dirt on Hillary Clinton Hmm. and says they have thousands of Clinton emails and that this could be obviously damaging to Hillary Clinton. So, Matt, the Russian government potentially is reaching out via this professor. Why would the Russian government seem to go through him? The thing to know here is that an FBI agent filed an affidavit that says 
the Russian government and its intelligence and security services frequently make the use of non-governmental intermediaries to achieve their foreign intelligence Hmm. objectives. I'm aware the Russian government uses individuals associated with academia and think tanks in such capacity. Hmm. As far as the FBI is concerned, this is par for the course. If the Russian government wants to reach out to you, they don't pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm Vlad, (laughs) we've got emails. They use a cutout. So somewhat by chance, somewhat by perhaps the intention of the Russian government, this young new member of the Trump campaign, George Papadopoulos, comes into contact with possibly an agent of the Russian government making some kind of an offer. Exactly right. Matt, let's talk about the emails. I'm, I'm thinking about the timing of where we are in the campaign. It's April, and this 30-year-old advisor has just been told about thousands of emails about Hillary Clinton that the Russian government has. Do we know if these are the emails that were hacked by the Russians? So we don't know if they're the emails, the DNC hacked emails, but it follows chronologically that they would be, right? I mean, we know that in March, the Russians hacked John Podesta's emails. And uh, this is Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. Correct. This then would be shortly thereafter that somebody's saying we have thousands of emails. Right. Just a month after. Kind of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Campaign 2016, day one of the Democratic National Convention is being overshadowed by the DNC email scandal. So it's going to be another couple months before the rest of the world learns that emails have been hacked from the accounts of Podesta and the Democratic National Committee. This morning, the FBI confirmed it's now investigating how thousands of emails were hacked. Officials suspect it came from a Russian cyber attack. If these are the same emails, is this the first time that we know of that someone may have been informed of these stolen emails? It's certainly the earliest established moment where somebody inside the Trump campaign is told... Russia has emails on Hillary Clinton. And that's important because... Did anyone involved in the Trump campaign have any contact with Russians trying to meddle with the election? Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. In addition to saying we never had any connections or any dealings with Russia, we never met with any Russians, the Trump campaign has also said we weren't in on it, we didn't know about the Russian hacking campaign. I hear people saying it like it's a fact on television that is just not only inaccurate and false, but it's dangerous. And this suggests what you're telling me, the possibility that, in fact, they did. At this point, what we know is that this person in the campaign was told that Russia had thousands of Clinton emails. Mm -hmm. We don't know if anybody else was told. We don't know if if Papadopoulos then turns around and goes up and tells senior people in the campaign. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be important. I mean, that that is an important thing to know. If you're Bob Mueller, the special counsel, you want to establish who, if anybody else, knew. Matt, why don't we know that? We're seeing all kinds of emails from Papadopoulos to more senior figures on the Trump team. So why don't we know if he passed on this information within the campaign? Well, there's two options. The first option is he didn't. Uh, The second option is he told somebody and 
there's no reason to put that out there right now because that's information you want to try to corroborate elsewhere or you hmm. want to try to build into another case. You know, right now, all we know is there's no reference to him telling senior people about the emails. So the FBI may have more information about this than we're learning on Monday. Well, they definitely have more information <laughs> than we're learning today. But I don't know if they have more information about the point of whether he shared the email issue with other people. Do we know if Papadopoulos understands the significance of the information that he's in possession of about the emails? Yeah, that's a great question. In the moment, maybe he doesn't, but... On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton is dealing with the latest round of leaked emails from WikiLeaks. The news ultimately comes out that her emails are getting leaked. The Clinton campaign has not verified or disputed the authenticity of any specific files in the leak, but they blame Russia for the breach. And he certainly remembers that that conversation was had. As her emails become a central issue in the campaign, he knows the conversation was, we've got thousands of her emails, or they've got thousands of her emails. So maybe he doesn't know the significance when it gets said, but at some point, of course, he has to understand the significance of what he's been told. So what do we know about what Papadopoulos conveys back to the Trump team about all of this? How does he represent these interactions with the professor? What we know is the offer as conveyed by Papadopoulos back to the campaign is, I've got a guy who can set up a high-level meeting between Donald Trump or others and top people in Russia. And if looked at through the lens of Papadopoulos trying to you know, establish his bona fides in the campaign. You know, this is a, hey, look at I'm important. You know, he refers to, oh, this is my friend, the professor. You know, it can be read as him trying to prove for the campaign that he's got juice with Russia. Matt, how does Papadopoulos' supervisor respond to this information that he presents? Well, I mean, first off, he's like, great work. That was the quote, great work. But, you know, we got to run this through the campaign. Let's not make any commitments to what the candidate's going to do when the information bubbled up to the top levels of the campaign, you know, they actually end up throwing the brakes on. And they say, look, DT, Donald Trump, is not doing these trips. It should be someone low level in the campaign so as not to send any signal. Hmm. They don't say nobody's going to go meet with Russians, but they're like, where well, it's not going to be Donald Trump. Although that meeting ultimately does not happen. So what's the crime here? When does Papadopoulos commit an actual crime. Well, so you have to fast forward through the general election, mm -hmm. through the transition, through the inauguration. And it's six days after Inauguration Day, January 27th, 2017. And the FBI visits George Papadopoulos. And the FBI is now in the thick of an investigation into Russian meddling in the election and whether anybody in the Trump campaign was in on it. And they show up and they say to Papadopoulos, hey, can we talk about your relationship with this professor? And he's like, oh, yeah, but that, that guy was like nothing. Hmm. He just talked a good game. And that had really nothing to do with the campaign. That's a relationship I had beforehand. And it was nothing hmm. serious. And of course, you know, at this point, either the FBI knows he's lying or, or suspects he's lying. And that's the crime. Lying to the FBI. Exactly. And Matt, why do we think that Papadopoulos lied to the FBI. 
I don't know why anybody lies to the FBI because it's always the lie that gets you. Hmm. It's always the lie that gets you. And Matt, something else meaningful happens the day of that first meeting when the FBI first visited Papadopoulos. What else happened on January 27th? So January 27th becomes an important day because that evening, Donald Trump unexpectedly calls Jim Comey, the FBI director at the time, to the White House for dinner. And in that meeting, that's the dinner where he Hmm. says, I need your loyalty. And so if you're Jim Comey, right, you have to know that your agents just went out and interviewed Papadopoulos. So the very moment that Donald Trump is saying to his FBI director, I need your loyalty, the FBI director, his agents are out there talking to Donald Trump's campaign advisor about his meetings with Russians and how much he knew about the email hacking and Russian influence. So it just makes that meeting that much more fraught. You can imagine, Hmm. you know, it helps explain why Comey said that made him feel so uncomfortable. I tried to hold the line, hold the line. It got very awkward. And I then said, um, you'll always have honesty from me. He said, honest loyalty. And then I acceded to that as a way to end this awkwardness. At the culmination of all these events, you're summarily fired without any explanation or anything else. Well, there was an explanation. I just don't buy it. Well. So does the Papadopoulos saga potentially tell us more about the Russian government and its strategies and its outreach more than it does about the Trump team? Because they reach out to this young man. It doesn't really go anywhere. A couple months later, there's another attempt with a more significant figure, Don Jr., The explosive news about President Trump and Russia, it involves Donald Trump Jr. Breaking in the last 30 minutes, the New York Times reporting that Trump Jr. met with a Russian lawyer last year during the campaign after being promised damaging information on Hillary Clinton. Well, so it's not unusual for a foreign government to try to make contacts in a campaign. That part's not unusual. It's unusual that a... I won't call Russia an adversary, but a country that has a strained relationship with the United States Mm -hmm. would reach out to one candidate and say, we can help you and we can directly harm your competitor. That's what's unique about this. And that now is starting to come into focus for us. Either people around Donald Trump don't understand Mm -hmm. that they're being targeted as part of an influence campaign or they're winning in doing this. And so kind of the picture of the 2016 election is still coming into focus for us. So at this point, it's really clear that the Russians really wanted to make contact with the Trump campaign and really make Trump president. The big question is, what did the Trump team do with that outreach? To me, this is the most explicit evidence that we have to date, that the Russian government was reaching into the Trump campaign Hmm. and saying, hey, we got emails. Hey, we want to help you. And as we heard with the June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, the response from people in the Trump campaign is, sounds great. That sounds fantastic. So when you hear hear the president say, no collusion— you know, or type it on Twitter in all caps, no collusion. Right. I guess the best interpretation, the most honest interpretation of this now is no collusion that meant anything. 
mm-hmm. right? Because if twice you get approached with a promise to help influence the campaign, and twice people around the campaign say, sure, let's meet, whether it might ultimately meant nothing, in which case, again, the most honest interpretation of what the president is saying is no collusion that meant anything. But it's becoming really hard to just say no collusion and leave it at that. But it's increasingly seeming like Russia wants collusion, is maybe repeatedly offering collusion, and it's not quite clear yet whether the Trump campaign was capable of collusion or ever participated in collusion. Yeah. I mean, they took meetings and lied about it, not just to the public, but to the FBI. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're still concealing the nature of those meetings in July when, you know, my colleagues and I approached them about the Trump Tower meeting and said, what was that about? They're like, ah, that's just Russian adoption. They were meeting with these people on a promise of help and then lying about it. We don't have any evidence that the Trump team got emails from this professor or from the lawyer who went to Trump Tower. We don't have any evidence of that. And the Trump team has repeatedly said, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And we don't have a reason to disbelieve them, except that they've also repeatedly said, we didn't meet with any Russians. And when people were asked about it directly, they lied about it. Hmm. Matt, thank you very much. Great to be here. Any On Monday morning, Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, along with his associate, Rick Gates, was also indicted as part of the Mueller investigation on charges that he funneled millions of dollars through overseas shell companies and used that money to buy luxury cars, real estate, antiques, and expensive suits. The indictment does not draw any connection between the charges and the Trump campaign's ties to Russia, suggesting that Mueller is taking an expansive view of his investigation and may be using these charges to get information from Manafort that more directly relates to the Russia investigation. On Monday afternoon, Manafort and Gates pled not guilty in federal district court. We'll be right back. ADP understands the importance of building the right team and offers the data insights to help. Just as importantly, their AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time, and payroll. Here's what else you need to know today. Facebook has told congressional investigators that content posted by Russian agents seeking to meddle in last year's election reached 126 million of its users. Google has told the same investigators that Russian agents uploaded a thousand videos to its YouTube service. And a federal judge is temporarily blocking President Trump from imposing a ban on transgender people in the military next year ruling that the policy, quote, does not appear to be supported by any facts. Instead, the judge said, it is motivated by a desire to express disapproval of transgender people generally. Trump first announced the ban this summer in a series of surprise tweets, arguing that transgender people are disruptive and costly to the military, 
On Monday, the judge in the case found there is no evidence to support either of those claims. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more.